0: when you get one kid excited about biology or algebra or world history or whatever, and he stays in school and decides he wants to be in school and he wants to further his education and go on. When you reach one kid and, and have that happen, um, have his, you know, sort of his burners turn on and, um, launch himself to a trajectory where he leads a really productive, happy life. Think about all the crimes that don't get committed. Think about all the dope that isn't sold, you know, um, on the street. Think about the sexual assaults that don't happen. The strong arm robberies that don't happen. Uh, the vandalism, you know, just the, the petty stupid stuff that doesn't happen. Um, Because, you know, most people don't get caught the first time they commit a crime uh, or they don't stop if they get caught the first time they commit a crime. So, you know, if we want justice, the the place by and large to seek it is not in a courthouse, but out in the world, um, especially with young people and their families.
1: Welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast, everybody. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Norlock. <laughs> and I'm John Williamson. And it's making of a murderer time.
2: It is. So if you guys saw this episode pop up in your feed because you're subscribed, like, uh, like super awesome listeners, <laughs> <laughs> um, then you were probably like, "Wait, this guy's name sounds familiar," and you would be right. You'd be right about that. This one because one's- everybody.
1: Saw this thing on Netflix.
2: Because it was so good. It was
1: so good. And I I'm mean, still <laughs> so
2: mad about it. I know. It's like, it's one of those things where you're like, this is a really good documentary. And then you have to check yourself because you're like, this is about real people though. Mm-hmm. It's not just a fake TV show. But it's so crazy that you have to remind yourself that, it, that it's real.
1: Dude, we can't even get into it right
2: now. No. But if you haven't seen Making of a Murderer,
1: go on Netflix. Go on Netflix and watch it right now. One of the best uses of your time. And it really happened.
2: Yeah, it's um, it, it's a really interesting look into uh, the justice system, uh, specifically in, I don't know, a smaller town where, you know, corruption can and sometimes does take place, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And, and what can happen, you know, based off of like just stereotypes and, you know, status in society and that sort of thing. So it's oh, yeah. fascinating from a sociological maybe some, standpoint, maybe some bias. Maybe some bias, maybe a little bias. We're all talk, we're all about talking about bias. Definitely bias. So, so who's this guy and you know, why did we have him on the show? So his name is Dean string mm-hmm. and he was one of the two defense attorneys, mm-hmm. uh, later on in the episode that you get to meet, um, extraordinarily intelligent guy. Yes. Um, like you, you can pretty much take that away while you're watching this documentary. Yes. Um, both of them, like, you know, they, they do have, uh, lives of faith. Yep. um, that, that we talk about a little bit, but uh, we were just kind of interested to see kind of how that informed the way that they they um, do their jobs as as lawyers, you know, um, if it has had any impact in the way that they choose their, their clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think what you'll see is that, you know, he, it's very much, it's not an overt uh, thing that impacts the way he does his job, but it just... It's just who he is as right. a person. His character, I think, really comes through in the and the way he responds to a lot of our questions. I don't think that you can talk about ideas
1: like justice yeah, without being also taking part in a bigger conversation. Yeah. So, you know, even the idea of justice, and we get into a little bit of this in the episode, I remember, um, comes down to a little bit of like what we do on this podcast. This idea of deconstruction um, kind of goes back to the philosopher Derrida. And one of the... Th- one of his favorite things to talk about in light of this idea of deconstruction is this idea of justice. Mm-hmm. And you know, all of us here, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, the idea of justice is probably a big part of what you're wrestling with in yeah. some way, shape, or form. Or to be honest, it should be because it's a huge question and it's a question that we as human beings that are constantly trying to move forward can never stop being aware of the implications of, of the calling of justice.
2: Yeah. I think that's the perfect way to put it. Um, and and Dareda talks a lot about the fact that it's more of the, the act of the pursuit. Um, at no point in history have we ever gotten to the point where we're like, and we've achieved perfect justice. There we go. Yep. We all agree. This is it. You You know know? I,
1: I love? I was just having a conversation about this the other day with somebody and I was just like, look, even our constitution, the Constitution of the United States of America is a living document that is constantly being interpreted and reinterpreted and amended and changed and wrestled with. And people mm-hmm. are like, no, the spirit of what these people were trying to do is still isn't here yet. We right. still have work to do. That blows my
2: mind. But that's the, that's the important part, though. It's like we, we constantly are in pursuit of that, of that ideal. And, and it's when we, when we stop and we say, no, we, we got it. You know, that's when, you know, it starts to negatively impact society and the, and the people um, within it. So yes. So the idea is to uh, constantly move forward and to push towards that horizon. Yes. Knowing that, you know, we're never going to get there, but as long as we keep pushing towards it. And I I think that in a way is, is, is kind of what we're doing as Christians. If you, if you still kind of, um, ascribed to that title or right. that, that term, you know, I think somebody asked us recently and, and, uh, it's like, do you, do you still latch onto that title? Do you still call yourself a Christian? What does that even mean? You know? Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, at the end of the day, I think you, you can, you can get bogged down a lot of the details and the minutia and sure, absolutely. There's like doctrine we can argue about and mm-hmm. and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the constant pursuit of love and, mm. and loving others in society. Knowing that we're, we're human, we're going to fail. We're going to screw up. There's this thing called sin, you know, missing the mark. But as long as we are moving towards that horizon constantly, just mm. picking ourselves back up again and moving towards that horizon, I think that's the goal. Yeah. That's, that's my, my boiled down yeah. meaning of life right that's there. It's a nice little mini sermon. Thanks, dude. I
1: really, I really enjoyed
2: that. See, this is, this is what happens when you get me during the day and not recording these things at night. My brain works better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, everybody's does. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, lot to talk about in this episode. We'll chat a little bit
1: more at the end. But um, once again, uh, thanks for being with us. We got a couple things to tell you about real quick. Uh, we have launched a new website. Yes. Same domain name, the deconstructionist.com. And this place is pretty. It's pretty. It is beautiful. And I can say that without bragging because I had nothing to do with it at all. Neither did John. This, Which is, is why it's pretty. Th- it's why it's pretty. Ryan Battles is a web designer who is was also a listener, and he's become a great friend, and he just loved on us and put together this beautiful website for us. It's a one-stop shop. Um, our, our new Patreon campaign, which we have um, set up, uh, so many fun things. It's a little tongue-in-cheek. We're, we're having such a blast. We want to connect with you guys. So uh, if you want to be a part, I mean, there's like a $1... Just, you know, to get involved and see some behind the scenes stuff and get, you know, get some, get some benefits from that all the way up to like (laughs) $3,000 a month. In which case I will fly out and, and, and do religious, uh, you know, uh, ceremonies ceremonies for your wedding, your baptism, baptism, wedding. Uh, we can even make something up if you want to.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, confirm you into the, the. Secret circle of deconstructionists. Yes,
1: there is a secret <laughs> circle, but we can't talk about it because it's a secret. That's right. So, uh, Also, our social media is on there, so now it's a one-stop shop. If, if you want to you know, find us on social media, just go to our website. And there's a blog, which we're going to continue to have uh, things that John and I are going to write, and then there's, we're going to have guest bloggers as well. So there's always going to be surprises. I, I think it's called the journal, actually. You know, the yeah. journal or the blog, whatever, mm-hmm. deconstructionist journal. But uh, definitely go there. And without further ado, here we got... Dean, Dean freaking Strang, Strang. Hey. Oh you hold my heart forever but I can hold on. All right well uh Dean Strang um thank you giving us just a little bit of your time today. We are so excited to have you on the Deconstructionist Podcast.
0: I'm really glad to be here.
2: So uh, obviously uh, those of our listeners who are listening, uh, I know we have a lot of true crime junkies uh, who listen to our show as well, uh, even though that's not really our, our format. But how uh, um, <laughs> know- could you not be in this day and age now? Yeah, that's pretty true. Uh, yeah, I mean, so uh, we're very excited to have you on, and I'd uh, love to, to talk to you a little bit more about, obviously, what, what puts you in the limelight. But before we do that, um, if you could, just give our listeners uh, a little idea of kind of your background, how you got into the legal profession uh, to begin with.
0: Well, I'm a Milwaukeean by birth. I've lived in Wisconsin all my life, other than, uh, you know, during college and law school. I sort of fell into law school. Uh, when I decided that, much as I loved editorial cartooning, it probably wouldn't make a 50-year career for me. <laughs> uh, and I, 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 I really didn't have um, a good alternate plan for, for my life because I had been quite intent um, up until my junior year in college on being an edit- editorial cartoonist. Um, but this was a time when, um, law schools were admitting as many students as they could get and students were running off to meet what seemed an endless demand for young lawyers. Um, so my path to law school is no more inspiring than that. (laughs) Well, we're, we're certainly glad you did. Um,
2: uh, Adam and I are both huge fans of, of obviously the documentary Making a Murder and uh, and I, what I'd like to think is um, kind of the uh, the offshooting of of the the popularity of of that documentary with all of the new uh, true crime not only TV shows but podcasts and things that have cropped up since then. Um, one of the things that I, I thought was interesting, I remember reading an article uh, interview that you did a while back, um, and, and you mentioned in it that you had actually started out as a prosecutor. Uh, for a short period of time before switching to defense uh, what just out of curiosity what what was it that that made you switch from from one side to the other
0: uh, i I was no good at prosecuting't <laughs> uh, not, not only was I a poor prosecutor, but I was unhappy doing it. Um, so this was my first exposure to criminal law, really, certainly you know professionally. Um, I had spent my first two and a half years out of law school at a large civil firm. Then, as you say, uh, became a federal prosecutor for a very short time. It was under 11 months. Uh, and I, you know, I decided in effect that I liked the shoes, but that I had them on the wrong feet.
1: Mm, Interesting.
0: So,
2: uh, just out of curiosity, um, so, uh, I couldn't help but notice in one of the episodes of making a murder that both you and your partner, Jerry beating both had uh, Ash Wednesday ashes on your head. Is that, uh, is faith, you know, life of faith, something that plays a role in, in, um, how, how, you do your, your job and how you select cases and that sort of thing.
0: For me, the answer honestly would be no. Um, not really. <laughs> um, my, my faith is probably more personal um, and in many times tentative than that, um, so I don't see it directly connected to you know my my thought process and approach to the world at work. Interesting, Jerry might give you a Jerry might give you a very different answer. Okay,
2: um, so another article I remember I remember reading um, an interview that you had done with I believe it was Forbes magazine. Uh, I thought it was really interesting and i th- I think it's something that that I haven't heard you talk about a lot, either you or jerry um and that is kind of the thought process that went into taking this case initially to begin with because uh from my understanding it it you, you both of you knew going into it that this wasn't gonna be a case that uh that that made you wealthy by any stretch of the imagination
0: hmm. it was not and and very few you know criminal cases do make a defense lawyer wealthy um you won't. Most people won't get one in their career that would make them anything like wealthy. But this one, um, you know, we thought on paper would be um, something like a loss, or or come close to looking like a, a loss on paper. But that it was very much worth doing. Um, if you're serious about defending criminal cases, then standing. Next to the most despised person around you is where you want to be for one for two, um, it was a chance for me visibly to get back in state court after five years away as the federal defender um, in this state and i you know I wanted an opportunity to prove to any of my colleagues in the bar who might be watching. Um, that I could still find my way to a state courthouse and work there um, effectively as a lawyer. Uh, it was a chance to work with Jerry again, he and I've always enjoyed collaborating on cases. Um, this was the first time we represented the same client rather than representing co-defendants with aligned interests. So that was a, a good opportunity. And both of us had some past connection to Stephen Avery and some empathy for his situation. Um, for Jerry, he had served on the so-called Avery Commission after Stephen Avery's 2003 exoneration. For me, I had been a member of the firm that represented Stephen Avery in the mid-1990s in his first collateral effort to... Um, applied DNA testing to establish his innocence of the 1985 rape case. Um, I had not worked directly, or at least not much, directly on that effort, but I had been in a small firm that handled it, um, so I very much knew Stephen Avery's backstory.
3: Stars falling from the sky Buildings burning all the time. Tall rivers running wild Stretching out for miles and miles I think I heard a good man
1: one of, the, one of the things that I'm just really interested in is on this podcast, you know, we call ourselves the Deconstructionists, and a lot of that comes from the work of Jacques Derrida, and he had a lot to say about uh, law. He had a lot to say about justice. And one of the things that he sort of teased out was this idea that justice, um, as an idea, he would always say, if it exists, if justice exists, um, it's elusive. He would say that it's something that we never truly actually have, but it's something that we're always called forward by. And one of the things that I noticed in watching uh, you on the, on, the, on the series on Netflix and then reading some articles is that uh, you are compelled by this idea of justice, in, in my opinion, just reading between the lines, and I'd love to get your take on this, um, but from a different side, it seems like we always look at this, this idea of justice from the side of those who need defense because they've been you know, attacked or they've been abused. Or, um, but you're standing with the criminal, the one who um, is assumed guilty a lot of times, the one who nobody wants to side with. And I, I was just wondering if you maybe have a little bit of a different idea of justice. What does justice mean to you in, in that sense? It's, it's just such a difficult idea. I'd just love to get some thoughts on your idea of justice in, in defending uh, criminals.
0: Well, um, you're, you're asking me to wade into Jacques Derrida, and that's, uh, <laughs> that's complex territory. Yeah. Um, Derrida would not have used the term superstructure. But I think it's true that, you know, when many people consider the project of justice, they get lost in the superstructure of it, yes. the scaffolding, the procedural aspects of justice, um, the physical trappings of the project of administering justice, whether that's a courthouse or courtroom or the people who. Occupy it and the things they do. Yeah. None of that has much to do with justice, and Derrida and I would agree on that. Um, and for me, um, the idea of justice is a universal. Mm. Um, I suspect that not a person has come to maturity in the history of the world who hasn't yearned for justice, who hasn't had a sense when an injustice is done to him or her, or when an injustice is done to another human being he or she recognizes as fully human. Um, The difficulty in the project of administering justice always seems to me that while we all yearn for it universally, we don't agree on what it is.
4: Mm. Very,
0: very different conceptions of what justice means or or what its presence would look like, um, I guess for me the the best I can do is a pretty abstract definition, which is um, justice ideally means giving to everyone what she is due, yeah or he is due, giving everyone his or her human due. Um, practically beyond, you know, when you have, when you retreat from the ideal and you retrench to the world of the practical, justice, I think often means how do you act? What do you do when faced with uncertainty Mm. about who is due what? What rules do you follow or do you announce? And then do you follow? those rules, or do you, in fact, adhere instead to unstated rules that are different uh, than the principles you espouse, or do you try to adhere to the principles you espouse, but do you regularly fall short of those? So a lot of the practical project of administering justice seems to me um, enunciating morally defensible rules about what to do when faced with uncertainty about what is due, D-U-E, to whom, enunciating those morally defensible principles, and then trying to hold ourselves to living those principles. Derrida okay. would do much better. For that matter, Michel Foucault would do much better. Yes. Whoa. Um, but but <laughs> I live in, I, I live in a, a sort of cramped practical world
2: most of the time. Well, you just threw out another name that our listeners are 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 quite familiar with. So, nicely done. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, in, in terms of justice, uh, kind of the overarching theme of the documentary series was kind of this this idea of this miscarriage of justice potentially that this this man was was innocent of this initial crime and and may potentially be innocent of the second crime. And um I just find it interesting that uh that that you were you and Jerry were able to take on this case for this man who, uh, for all intents and purposes, seems like the, 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 the police department down to the society wanted nothing to do with this individual. Um, and, and by some extension, his family, um, how, how, how did you, how are you able to deal with, um, uh, sort of the, what seemed to be a barrage of, um, preconceived notions about this individual while still trying to build a defense for him. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, look, if if you don't relish stepping into the contrarian's role, you really won't last in criminal defense very long. I love very it. Long. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. It, 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 this is just, you know, in the end, I don't know if it's an acquired preference or it's something more innate than that, but uh, someone who lasts in and loves criminal defense Seeks the contrarian role in that respect, uh, at least wants, wants to be standing next to the one everyone else is seeking to avoid. Um, and, you know, for Jerry, that gets very tied in to Roman Catholic faith. Um, for me, again, I, you know, I, th- I think of that um, at, at another level It has a spiritual. Um, and very personal aspect, but also it has some intellectual aspects to That's, it. Absolutely. Um, sure. But, but, but you, you simply seek out um, the role of the contrarian whose job it is to say, wait a minute, not so damn fast, yeah, not so I, fast, <laughs> okay? Um, let's, let's test the assumptions that people are barreling ahead on um, or are awfully quick to apply to another human being.
3: Trouble, you clear you held my hand tight to watch me
2: disappear i wasn't
3: honest, tell you the truth
2: I so out, out of curiosity just speaking from the from the perspective of a layman um i found the the press conference that the prosecuting attorney held to be very uh strange uh, just in terms of kind of the picture that was painted about this individual who, you know, it, it presumed innocent until proven guilty, uh, it, it, is that an ordinary, is that a typical standard practice? Or was that, am I right to think that that was kind of unusual?
0: You are right to think it was unusual. You are right to wonder whether it was proper. Um, I thought it wasn't. Uh, I thought it was irreconcilable, both with. The presumption of innocence to which Brendan Dassey and Stephen Avery were, uh, you know, were entitled mm-hmm. and um, inconsistent as well or irreconcilable maybe as well with the duty of lawyers to try to preserve um, that presumption of innocence and preserve the prospects for a fair trial for everyone, um, victims, family, defendant, community. Uh, look, looking
2: back, you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty. But um, do you see anything that you or Jerry may have done differently um, had that trial been been going on now, as opposed to some years back now?
0: Oh, nothing beyond about a hundred things. Uh, <laughs> well, we've got a few minutes know, left y- here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you know, you the the reality of this job and many jobs is you have to make a decision at the time based on what you know, your Mm -hmm. skill level at the time, um, your best judgment um, on the information you have. And sometimes you don't have much time uh, to apply that experience and judgment to come to a decision, but you have to do it and then move forward from there. And it's, Inevitable, that when you look back at any trial you've had, whether you've lost it or won it, uh, when you look back with the benefit of hindsight and with whatever additional experience um, or judgment you've garnered since an earlier trial, you say... I should have handled this cross-examination differently. Uh, Today I would do this direct examination differently. Today I would do a very different opening statement or I'd do something different in my closing argument. Um, You can hound yourself for the rest of your life with those sort of second thoughts. Um, Here specific ones. Um, I have never been certain that we were right to turn down a mistrial. Uh, that we would have had on demand after we lost a juror at the end of the first day of deliberations. Mm. I've never been certain that we were right to um, you know, select jury from Manitowoc County rather than seeking a change of venue. I suspect the judge would have granted a change of venue had we asked. We made a judgment call that there was no other place in the state of Wisconsin uh, from which we could draw an untainted jury. And so that being true in our minds, at least to our view at the time, better to stay with uh, the county that would have known Stephen Avery's history and known the history of its own sheriff's department. But those are two contestable decisions um, that we made, and they may always be. Hmm, Sure. Uh, Having having said that, um, just
2: watching the the documentary unfold and obviously um the the filmmakers can't possibly put everything into this documentary film or else it would have been the longest documentary in the history of documentaries but um I, as a viewer i just got the sense i'm like man these two guys are doing an excellent job i mean yeah. I, I remember turning to my wife and saying if i ever commit a crime <laughs> I, I hope i don't but if i do i'd want those two guys defending or somebody me. thinks you committed a crime. or the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better put but uh um but I just I just got the sense like this is going really well in terms of um yeah uh, of showing that there's reasonable doubt. I felt like like you had done a, a more than sufficient job. Is that is that kind of the feel that you had as the the trial was winding to a close or from your perspective was it still kind of up in the air?
0: I did not think I had done more than a sufficient job or that, you know, Jerry and I had, um, carried the day, I thought that the state's case had failed, um, to satisfy reasonable people beyond a reasonable doubt. Wow. Um, Interesting. You know, I, I I don't, I, I don't take, you know, I don't think I could possibly take any credit for that. Um, because in the end, um, to my eye, which was probably a biased eye, unavoidably a biased eye, but to my eye, as objectively as I could muster to look at it, um, I thought that the evidence fell short of satisfying reasonable jurors beyond a reasonable doubt. Hold out
3: for what you thought you were making Just long
1: So I've just got a a quick little easy question for you. You know, after how well, how long have you been a criminal defense ter- attorney? Now, out of curiosity,
0: a criminal defense lawyer since
1: September 1988. Okay, so since September of '88, that's a that's a long time practicing these things and standing by, as you said in that Forbes article, the friendless man, the detested, the outcast. I mean, that's quite a different position um, that you get. It's quite a different vantage point than the normal person typically gets and I know this is a huge question and I'm I can't believe I'm even asking you this cuz it's so open ended but I'd love to hear just a couple thoughts on just how your view of humanity has changed just being in that seat all the time having to take that view and 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 doing it with a sense of of real dignity I can sense the the humanity and the sense of justice that you have and I'm just curious how year in, you know, year in, year out, day in, day out, you know, defending the friendless, the detested, the outcast has changed, uh, your view of humanity. Have you ever reflected on that? Or I'd love to hear a couple thoughts.
0: Look, it's been, I, I have reflected on it. And when I do, um, invariably it strikes me that, that I've had a real privilege to serve people, uh, to serve people who needed, help. Um that it's been a privilege to be able to go to work and come back home thinking at least that you've done something possibly important. Yeah. Another human being. That said, um the you know, sitting in my chair is less atypical then you might think, um, because every day, all of us sit on the bench in a subway or walk the sidewalks next to people who are despised, friendless, um, have done bad things, or may in the future do bad things. Um, we're, you know, we're all out in the sea of humanity every day. And my clients as a cross section, don't look all that different mm. than the people you and I encounter at coffee shops or on, you know, street corners while waiting for the walk sign you know, or riding a bus or, you know, going to, you know, a professional baseball game or whatever. Um, The slice of life I see is not so very different um, Mm. than the slice of life you and I both see all the time. Um, The difference is that on the street or on the subway, we're not seeing the guy next to us as a criminal, um, at least in any specific way, typically. Um, We're also not seeing the fact that almost all of us are criminals, in the sense that almost all of us, at some point in our lives, mm-hmm. have committed some crime, sure. probably mostly minor, some not so minor, but there's a hell of a lot of Americans walking around who've uh, been smoking pot since before it was illegal in Colorado, <laughs> you know, legal in Colorado, for example, or who've, or who've vandalized an opposing school's property, or who've broken into a garage, and, you know, when they were drunk or uh, thought it was a prank or have... Who, who told you groped. about that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, or who, who, who groped another college student when, you know, neither one of you were fully sober. Sure. Um, you know, almost all of us have committed some criminal offense or offenses in our lifetimes... Uh, Only about a quarter of us have ever been called to account for that, ever been prosecuted for it. Um, But, you know, the reality is that, as I say, um, we're walking out amongst flawed human beings, and we are flawed human beings uh, all the time.
1: That was... I can't even believe I'm going to try to follow this up, but in the same same vein, that was excellent. I'd love to just respond to that, but we don't have time for that. Um, What about your idea of justice, you know, moving from uh, a lot of this being conceptual to actually getting into the courtroom? Like, how is your idea of justice that we kind of touched on a little bit ago? How has that sort of evolved? How have you seen that evolve when you, when you reflect, because you're obviously a pretty reflective guy?
0: Well, where I, where I've come to over time on that is that courtrooms represent your last chance for justice. Um, But in many ways, in seeking justice, it's way too late if you're waiting to see what happens in a courtroom. Wow. If we want to pursue justice, you know, we have to start by getting young kids excited about school and, you know, not skipping school to cause trouble on the street corner. Uh, We have to get excited about addressing mental health problems in the community about addressing alcohol and drug abuse. We've got to get excited about closing the income gap if we want justice. Um, Because, you know, by the time you get to a courtroom, somebody's been the victim of a burglary or been the victim of a sexual assault or whatever. Yeah. And the question is only who did it and can the state prove who did it? Um, the, the crime has happened by the time we're in a courtroom. And when you, when you save one kid, when you get one kid excited about biology or algebra or world history or whatever, mm. and he stays in school and decides he wants to be in school and he wants to further his education and go on, when you reach one kid and, and have that happen, um, have his, you know, sort of his burners turn on and um, launch himself to a trajectory where he leads a really productive, happy life. Think about all the crimes that don't get committed. Think about all the dope that isn't sold, you know, um, on the street. Think about the sexual assaults that don't happen, the strong-arm robberies that don't happen, uh, the vandalism, you know, just the, the petty, stupid stuff that doesn't happen. Um, because, you know, m- most people don't get caught the first time they commit a crime, uh, or they don't stop if they get caught the first time they commit a crime. So, you, you know, if we want justice, the the place, by and large, to seek it is not in a courthouse but out in the world um, especially with young people and their families
3: But have you seen the news today i have nothing god has gone away if he was ever there anyway is anyone that tells you they were born good is lying we're just born we are dying oh. dang
1: that was a really good answer <laughs> uh,
2: we want to be sensitive to your time, so we just have one quick uh, last question for you before we let you go um, so uh, we had we had heard that uh, that you and uh, and Jerry were working on a documentary show uh, of some kind of your own is that something that's still in the works or, or something that should be coming out relatively soon or
0: no, that did not involve Jerry, at least the, the, the idea that, uh, that I was approached oh, okay. um, to pursue did not involve Jerry. Um, that idea so far, and it's a terrific idea, wasn't mine. Um, it was the idea of a really promising um, young uh, TV executive. Um, that idea so far hasn't been bought um, by anyone. It got as far as a short pilot. Uh, it may be picked up yet. But I don't know when, by whom, or if. Ah, oh, come on,
1: Netflix! Anything we can do to participate <laughs> in making some noise for that? <laughs> yes.
0: Well, you could you could probably find someone more telegenic than me <laughs> to participate in it.
2: Oh man, that might help. Oh man, that might help. No way, no way. <laughs> well, uh, again, we want to be uh, sensitive of your time. We really, really appreciate uh, you coming on the show. This uh, meant a lot to us, and it was a lot of fun. So. Uh, uh, thanks again, sir, just for taking some time out of your day to, to sit down and talk with us.
1: We're going to have to do this again, well, Adam and, and John, and talk Derrida. Yeah, we'll do it.
0: We'll do, we'll do it again. Um, and thank thank you both, Adam and John, for having me. Thank, thank you, you so
1: much, Dean. Take care.
0: Bye bye.
3: You watch the valley burn Like a slow dancer doing turns My name was on every tongue And all of the smoking ash Like a memory of the time gone bad Hanging like a shadow I mean, what an
1: interesting conversation.
2: Dude, when you, when you got into, when you asked him that question about uh, Derrida and the pursuit of justice and he like brightened up a little bit. Yeah. He was <laughs> like, Oh, like we, we hit on a, on a, on a struck a chord. Yes. 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 <laughs> it, it, he was just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you never know with like, Derrida is not exactly like mainstream philosophical reading material. No. Uh, so like you never know who, who knows about his work. Right. Much less like knows in depth, uh, like very clearly. Yeah like Dean like knew was like, Oh yeah, I've read, you know? So he went there and it was, it was cool to see his, his idea, you know, on, on how like Derrida's pursuit of justice and and how he talks about that within his work, within deconstruction, how that applies to, to what he does. And just like, I don't know about you, but like the, the, the vibe I got from this interview is just like, was kind of the same it confirmed everything that I felt about him as a person while watching the documentary because mm-hmm. you never know how these how people are right like uh you know off, off camera or whatever, but you just got this sense that he's just a good guy with a good heart who tries to help people who can't help themselves absolutely like when we asked him about how he selects his clients and stuff like that, where yeah. he was just like well if, if I don't do it, who's gonna
1: do it right like I mean our you know it's so easy to to look at society is white hat, black hat, right? Mm -hmm. And if you're defending, you know, or, you know, if you're prosecuting a criminal, it's like, oh yeah, that's the, that's the, that's justice. You know, you're, you're prosecuting a criminal. That's, that's great. No, society only works. And the idea of justice only works if somebody with equal intelligence and, and fervor defends the criminal. It only works if it's innocent until proven guilty. And, and when we talked about this whole idea, and if you've watched Making of a Murderer, the thing that you could tell that they were just chapped about was this whole idea of, like, this person, as it stands right now, I don't care what you think, is innocent, right? Because that's how our system works. Yep. And unfortunately, with news media and with bias playing in thick, yeah, that is not only the most important idea, but it's the most overlooked idea in a lot of these situations. And when he started talking about this whole innocent until proven guilty thing, Oh
2: man, I was like,
1: dang, I just never thought of that.
2: Yeah. And and giving, I mean, the, the idea behind our justice system and and why, you know, the American justice system is supposed to be like the, the best justice system on the planet is because the way that we intended to design it was that everybody got a fair shake. Mm -hmm. And even if, you know, this individual is guilty right. of the crime that they deserve as an American citizen the opportunity to be well-represented yep, and to have a good case argued on their behalf. yep. Um, and then hopefully if the justice system is working as intended, if that person is guilty, then they will, you know, they'll be considered guilty in, in court of law. And if they're innocent, then the, it'll work in their favor. Right. And Obviously, felt, we know it doesn't
1: always work that way, no, but it doesn't. And I felt like a lot of what he was doing, and we didn't really, we had to, you know, kind of keep this interview relatively short. But one of the things that I really felt like he was doing in the documentary, and we didn't get a chance to talk to him about this, but like he was challenging the confirmation bias that had played into this whole case, mm-hmm. which is kind of what we're all about, you know. It's it's like whoa, 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 whoa! Don't just seek the outcome you want be aware that you want an outcome, right? That be aware of that and challenge the fact that you want an outcome. And I felt like that's what he was constantly calling people to in that trial. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I found a lot of resonance with that when I was watching it just in my own kind of spiritual journey. Yeah. Like, yeah, you want an outcome. Yeah. That should make you suspicious of what you want
2: in a way. Yeah. And, and, and we, we talk a little bit about the fact that in the documentary, you see a situation where they, they made it abundantly clear, like, a lot of people in the town already disliked this family to begin with. Right. And then you see this prosecuting attorney who comes out in this press conference, which I thought was very odd. And I know we, we asked him about this in the, in the episode, in the interview, where he comes out and basically, like, in graphic detail, basically says that this guy did it. Right. Lays it all out. Before day
1: one in court ever happens. Right. And then most of that evidence ended up being completely wrong and thrown out.
2: Yeah. It's just. And again, oh, I'm not saying this guy's innocent. No, but. But this guy is. was already. Yes. Behind the eight ball. Yes. Before he
1: even stepped foot in court. So. Yeah. And that's why you need guys like Dean strength to take the idea of justice seriously. And, you know, to get a little Jesus on you. Yeah. To stand with the condemned. Yes. Who, who does that better than the idea of like the Christ? You know, Jesus stands with and for the condemned. Yeah. Come on, man. I mean, that's, that's a big deal.
2: You know, I, I want to bring something else up too that's not related necessarily to this interview, but the, to the idea of, of uh, justice or at least our conception of justice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but I was, you know, I was obviously watching the news a couple of weeks ago. Um, when, like you do like I do, trying to stay informed, you know. And uh, there's the whole situation in, in Virginia, right, where right we have these, what were supposed to be peaceful protests over these Confederate statues. So if you're listening for, from overseas, um, you know, our American Civil War, we have we have statues in, in the southern states, uh, primarily, uh, that were put up in honor of some of these Civil War, uh, these Confederate generals and, and, and Confederate individuals um, that were put up. And there's some, uh, you know, some, obviously some backlash. Like why do we have these statues up of, of yeah. these individuals who essentially were committing treason against the the union? Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, whatever, there's a whole debate around that. But anyway, they were going to remove these statues and there were some, some white supremacists uh, that that showed up to counter protest Right. and violence broke out. There was a car that drove into the crowd and actually killed one young woman. And um, obviously this is, horrific tragic this should have never happened uh, but what was interesting was in the days that followed um the woman's the young woman was in her early 30s mm-hmm. her dad i don't know if you saw this her dad was interviewed by the news and forgave the guy that ran her over like killed her like he forgave he said you know what he he just doesn't know he just he just doesn't understand and mm. and like i have to forgive him you know and i was mm. like put 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 myself in that in that guy's shoes,
4: mm.
2: as much as I love my my little girl, I don't know that I could do that, and that's just and that's just me admitting where where I fall short, you know Man. and I just thought that was so powerful, and that got lost it got buried in the news for the most part, like a lot of people saw it, and I, I saw people retweeting it and stuff, but it's there's so much going on right now that it's easy for a story like that to completely just get swallowed up, yeah in the noise of everything else. And I was like that it was just so profound and remarkable. Mm. So it's like, you know, you have a situation where there's a clear cut victim and a clear cut person who committed this crime. This guy, you know, murdered this woman, you know, by hitting her with this car. And then our natural reaction and our, our human pursuit of justice is that we want to see this guy suffer for Mm -hmm. what he did. You know, Mm -hmm. you, you know, eye for an eye kind of thing. Yep. And, and yet there's this father who is able in the immediate aftermath of this situation to say, I forgive this guy is just, I don't know, that will stick with me for a very long time. I'm glad you shared that. Cause that did get glazed over to me. Yeah, man. You know, Adam and I both have daughters and, uh, you know, it, the parents that are listening out there, I think it's very easy when you see situations like that happen to put yourself in that person's shoes because you immediately start thinking of the safety of your own kids. Right. And and we all know as parents, like just how important our kids are to us. And you know, I think about it all the time. I'm like, man, if something ever happened to my daughter, you better take me with her, you know? Seriously, dude. Um, and so it's it, that's that's something that was uh it was a little hard to watch, you know. So so I think it's just something that we need to consider we need to think about when, you know, when we talk about, you know, a whole host of topics that involve our concept of justice. Yeah. And
1: yeah,
2: and we talked about it during our health series last year, you know, like this idea of um, retri- retributive, 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 thank you. That's so hard to say.
1: Yeah, got to focus on the <laughs>
2: retri- retributive justice versus restorative justice. Yeah. And how easy it is for us to get bogged down in this idea of, like, everybody getting what they deserve. Mm. Because we don't have the ability to love unconditionally. We're human beings. Like, my love is conditional. I'll say it right now. Like, if I was that father, screw that dude, you know? Yeah. I'd want that guy to pay tenfold. But I also know and I acknowledge that that is my limitation. Like, I know that I fall short there but like when we're talking about this idea of the divine or god and and this this being's ability to love unconditionally mm-hmm. with no strings attached then we have to admit that we don't really know what justice really looks like at the end of the day
1: i think that that is the most important thing just to close the most important thing that we could take away from an episode like this we have to pursue justice with the humble mindset that we don't yet know what it is, right? Like, it's that kind of humility that kind of, uh, as our buddy, like Ryan Alexander would say, like keeps us soft as humans. Yeah. Like we need to stay soft as humans. And it's that kind of humility as we pursue the beautiful idea of justice and, and the divine and everything that goes along with that, that keeps us human and soft. It's beautiful. So, yeah, man, love it. Check that out. <laughs> <laughs> so uh,
2: hope you guys enjoyed this. Um, we'll see you guys next week. We got another cool episode coming up. And uh, this one we've been sitting on for a little while. We got to do it live. the music today? Oh, the music today. Yeah, this, is, this is some good stuff here, man. Dean Strang. We are doing um, Isley this week, a band called Isley. Oh. Uh been around forever. There, a band by Sisters.
1: We saw Isley when they, when
2: civilian was touring yes. with Isley. So civilian actually opened for Isley and um, really cool to finally be able to see them for the first time. Um, incredibly yeah. nice fan. You know, they're a family uh, that started the band originally. They were sisters. Yep. Um, but super cool. Very talented live. Um, and uh, yeah, very cool that they allowed us to use some of their music on this episode. Oh, so man. check it out. Go support them. That's awesome. Follow us on our Spotify playlist. I love
1: it. And we love you guys. And check out our webs- new website and Patreon. And thanks to everybody that uh, is giving and hanging with us and being a part of this, uh, this cool collection of voices. Uh, for now, that's all we got. Yeah. We are your hosts. I'm Adam Narlock. And I'm John Williamson. Talk to you next time, everybody.
3: Ever comes like it did when you were in it. Just a memory of a kid, just a washed out finish. Just a pain in the ass, Johnny Cash, middle finger. No shooting up drugs, no quitter is a winner. Nothing ever comes. Nothing for yourself like a stone cold killer Now you're passing your people like a ship in the night